Hi, and welcome to WMMT's Mountain Talk. I'm your host, Parker Hobson. For today's show, we head to Floyd County for a program all about the Mud Creek Clinic and the living, ongoing legacy of its founder, Eula Hall. Stay tuned. Last year, Eastern Kentucky lost a giant when Eula Hall of Floyd County passed away at age 93. Eula was a larger-than-life presence, and over the decades, she organized and agitated around everything from black lung benefits to food stamps to clean water and workers' rights, among many other issues. But she's perhaps best known for founding the Mud Creek Clinic in Floyd County in 1973. The clinic was groundbreaking in that it was open to anyone, regardless of their ability to pay. And up first on Mountain Talk today, we have a report from WMMT's Katie Myers on how the clinic is still going and still carrying on EULA's mission of making care available to everyone in the community, even through a global pandemic. Here's Katie. During the last two years of the pandemic, we've heard lots of hard stories from the world of healthcare. Stories of worker burnout, deepening mistrust between patients and providers, lack of supplies, and unaffordable costs. In Kentucky, most of these troubles are nothing new. Over the decades, many cash-poor and uninsured people have struggled to access the care they need. It's an issue that hasn't been solved, but it also hasn't gone unnoticed or unaddressed. All my life, I thought this is ridiculous that people, good people, best people on earth, has to suffer and die for the lack of, of money. Eula Hall was born in 1927. She was a fierce fighter for health care and labor rights in eastern Kentucky, up until she died in 2021 at the age of 93. One of the biggest parts of her legacy is the Mud Creek Clinic, now called the Big Sandy Clinic or the Eula Hall Health Center, which she set up to improve access to affordable health care in her Floyd County community. Today, we're talking about Eula and how her legacy lives on in the clinic. Later in the show, we'll hear more from Eula Hall herself. But first, we're going to visit the clinic and talk to the people who work there about the successes and challenges they've faced as healthcare providers in a high-need area during the COVID-19 pandemic. The clinic opened in 1973 to offer healthcare to the most vulnerable people in eastern Kentucky, the uninsured and underinsured. By 1977, the clinic was seeing patients from as far away as Ohio and Tennessee. To add capacity, the clinic merged with Big Sandy Healthcare, which operated another nearby clinic. This allowed Hall to apply for federal grants and serve a larger patient population. Workers at the clinic knew Eula, and they still think about her today. Jeremy Parsons, a family physician at the clinic, grew up in Mud Creek and spent all his time in medical school trying to figure out how to get home. I think one of the most important things um, that Miss Eula used to used to teach us was that we're all here for the people. We're here to um, provide a service to the community. It's been about 40 years or so ago that she got the clinic started. Um, at that time, it was very difficult for the community um, to get health care. They did not have great access. And, but getting to work, you know, with her was different. So you hear all these things about Miss Eula and you hear, you know, uh, you kind of see all these achievements that she's made. You know, even when she was into her 90s, 
she was still coming into the clinic every day working for patients. We all feel her loss since she's not been here for the past year. The Mud Creek Clinic still carries out the ethos Eula Hall founded it with. No one is ever turned away. And to be a health worker at Mud Creek means a holistic caretaker. April Harold is the business manager for the clinic. Hall's legacy is important to her, too. When I say this woman fought like hell, because that was her quote, she fought like hell for these people, she fought like hell. Eula Hall was absolutely the pioneer for health care in Appalachia, and that's just all you can say about it. Up, down, sideways, backwards, forwards, she was the pioneer. Um, this community didn't have any type of health care. She strove her whole life to make sure that the patients here that were struggling and were sick had water, clean drinking water. She was on, on the water board. She made sure we had water to drink. But it doesn't matter who you are, what life, walk of life you've came from, if we're not decent human beings and we're not, if we don't care about our brothers and our sisters out in the world, then what are we? What? And Eula was ex- the epitome of that. She cared so much about this, this area that she fought and lobbied on the steps in Washington, D.C. She took truckloads and busloads of people to try to get benefits for, for coal miners. But her true passion, she had watched so many people die without health care that that was her goal, was to not see people die to not watch them die any longer. Harold says that for the clinic, healthcare is about more than just visiting the doctor. We have a food pantry out back that feeds 150 families a month. We have a clothing center in, in the food pantry. So if people don't have clothes, we help clothe them as well. I know we have patients that are so disheartened and so hard up at home they don't feel like they have anywhere to go but when they come here it's kind of like a refuge it's not really just a clinic if that makes sense it's honestly it's like a you're coming to see your family because even our patients in in some shape form or fashion are our family and it's hard to watch mothers who don't have formula for their babies or diapers or wipes um to know that our patients are hungry. And that's that's the reality of what our patients face every day. And it makes me proud to have been part of this. The clinic's most unique program is the Community Health Worker Program. Staff say this program accounts for the unseen work that goes into keeping someone healthy. It can be a long drive to see doctors and specialists. Often it falls to family members or loved ones to shuttle patients back and forth, help them keep their appointments, and otherwise organize their life in a way that allows them to manage their health. Community health worker programs decide that all of this amounts to real work, and maybe somebody should get paid for it. Pam Spradling is the Director of Strategic Planning for the clinic. 
She says the community health workers make the work of providing health care easier for providers while helping patients feel more comfortable. We have patients, and, and I know this happens to me, I go to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, you need to do this, 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 and that, and you need to have this and go here and do this and that. And, and it gets very confusing, you know, for, for patients to hear that. Like I said, it even does for me. Sometimes I leave thinking, now what did she say or what did he say? So uh, the the community health worker can reinforce that message, can reinforce that information. Uh, the community health worker can reinforce what the provider wants them to do or, or recommended that they do. Community health worker can, can explain that in terms that a patient can understand, provide materials for them to read. If a patient goes to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, you need to eat healthy because of your diabetes, but that patient can't access healthy food. You know, they don't have the money to go buy fresh fruits and vegetables or they don't have transportation to go get those things. Uh, you know, community health worker can help them access those healthy foods so that they can eat a healthy diet and be able to manage their condition better. A lot of our patients not only suffer from chronic conditions, and we have very high rates of chronic conditions in our service area, <clears throat> um, as is typical of Appalachia, again, in Kentucky. But um, our patients also suffer from persistent poverty. So, you know, families who've been in poverty for generations and they suffer from other barriers. Uh, we call them social determinants of health, but they're, they're social barriers that prevent patients from accessing the healthcare services that they need or, or other services that they need, whether it's social services or whatever. So, you know, things like transportation, things like healthy food, um, you know, those, those types of, of issues, again, they're, they're barriers to health care. They keep people from being able to access health care. And we find that if we relieve some of those barriers and help with those issues, that patients have a better outcome. They, have, they are man able to manage their chronic conditions better, and they'll, they'll hopefully end up with better health outcomes, which, which in turn, you know, it increases the health of our whole community. And that's, you know, the population health is what we're, we're very concerned about. We're concerned about the individual. We're concerned about the health of our communities as well. The community health worker can do more of a warm, friendly handoff. Uh, they can go with the patient um, to, uh, you know, to, to the social services office or to the housing office. Uh, they go with that patient. They can help navigate that patient through whatever process that organization has for patients to access services. So uh, that's kind of that extra step. I call it the cherry on top of, of traditional healthcare services. A community health worker is a trusted member of the community who helps people access healthcare or teaches people you know, what they know, takes care of people, helps them get services that they need. So Really, when you think about it, community health workers are ages and ages and ages old. That concept is ages old. Um, we, we've tried to make it brand new, but it's really not. It, it's ages old. And in talking about Eula Hall, that shows you, you know, she, she was a community health worker, literally. Uh, she's been called everything probably but that. She's been called a health advocate, you know, all, all of the, a miracle worker, all of these things. But but truly, she was a community health worker, uh, and that's just a lay health worker, someone in the community who helps people, uh, and someone that people can turn to when they need that help. The community health worker approach may be ages old, but the Mud Creek Clinic has had to keep adapting to new situations and modern conditions. The, the COVID-19 pandemic has created additional strain um, on our program, um, especially because there's just been so much more need. Uh, 
even the patients that we had who were employed before, maybe they lost their jobs or, you know, and if they lost their jobs, maybe they lost their housing. Maybe they didn't have enough food, uh, couldn't access enough food. So, um, so we really have had to step up our game to make sure that, that all of our patients are taken care of. And, you know, we serve about 29,000 patients a year. So that's a lot of patients to take care of, uh, for, you know, nine people, nine or 10 people to take care of. Um, so, so we have really had to step up our game and make sure that we're meeting, you know, the needs of, of patients. And, and I think we've done that. I think we've done well. Uh, has it taken a toll on our staff? Sure it has. But, you know, I always say that the, this job takes a toll anyway, because being a community health worker is different than being someone who works in the clinic every day. Because you see, when you're in the clinic, you hear about what patients are going through and you certainly you know have an understanding of that you know you saw April you can just you can just see April's heart when she's talking about patients and their needs and what they're going through um, the community health workers they hear it but they also see it you know they're they're in the patients homes because they do home visits with patients so they're there they're on the front lines for sure Outside the clinic, community health worker Jessica Atkins is getting ready for her trip to Pike County for a homebound patient. She's working to deliver fresh food to the patient through the clinic's FarmRx program, which helps patients with their groceries. And she drives a lot, sometimes all day, multiple trips. Jessica Atkins. I am a certified community health worker for Big Sandy Healthcare. Um, a typical day for me, really, not one day is the same. Um, my patients have different needs. I currently have, I'm thinking right around 52 patients now. Yeah. We're going up here today to get, um, these are our Farm RX vouchers that we use. And I have a patient today She's, you know, she's just immobile and um, she don't have any transportation. So I do this for her once a month and she appreciates it, you know, because I couldn't imagine being in that position myself someday, you know, not being able to, to walk and, and do, do things that I've done years ago. You know, I couldn't even imagine. <laughs> so you've been visiting her for a long time? Um, she's been a patient of mine probably, I'm gonna say, about six months six months and uh, she was weary she was weary about me coming out at first you know we talked on the phone a couple times and you know talked about my family and my past history and, and we just became you know to where she trusts me and so she lets me go and do it she tells me what she needs so I go and get it for her. The clinic tries to hire locally most of the people who work there are familiar with the lives their patients live Adkins says that's vital to building trust and doing her work successfully. I was born and raised in this community, so I kind of know most of the people, and most of the people know me and my family. And, you know, I used to go to Eula Hall as a child. You know, that's where I went to the doctor back. I'm just a people person. I've always been a people person. Um, you know, I've had struggles in life. I think everybody has struggles, you know, especially in my my younger days, in my teenage years, and I've struggled a lot. Um, I know back when um, 
I was first married, you know, the coal mines were a lot around here. That's, you know, if you, somebody in your family worked for the coal mines. And it seemed like they kept going more and more, you know, they kept shutting them down and, you know, the truck drivers that hauled the coal, you know, they didn't have means to take care of their family because they were losing their jobs. So the coal mines played a big role in our community, you know, here in Floyd County, Pike County, just surrounding. I think around here, I don't know if anybody's got a family that really didn't ever have a coal miner in it. <laughs> you know, that was just our big thing. That's how we made our money. That's how we survived. My grandpa worked for a coal mine, and back in those days, they had um, what they call, they would pay you, you know, you'd have to go to the company store, so what they paid you, you took care of your family from their store. You know, they kind of paid you with their items and stuff. So, you know, I know what it's like to, you know, to need stuff to, you know, if my vehicle's broke down, you know, it's hard when your vehicle's broke down to get somewhere. I've been there, I've been there, I've done that. You know, and a lot of times, you know, my patients do have transportation, but, you know, they're, they got a flat tire or, you know, they just don't have the means right now to get out, to get to the store, to get to the doctor. Program tool, you know, we have providers that will send referrals for us, for a community health worker, for a patient. And then um, when we get that referral, we start working with the patient, you know, find out what their needs are, um, what chronic diseases they have, and we try to help them manage those, you know, chronic diseases. And, you know, sometimes it just comes down to just just talking to a patient, seeing if they're keeping their logs up, their blood sugar logs, their um, blood pressure logs. A lot of times I've learned if my patients keep a log, they manage it better. Like Pam was talking about, the social determinants that we do, um, I do that every month with my patients, you know, because things can change from month to month. You know, one month they may not need anything, the next month they may say, well, I do need this this month. So then that's when we, you know, try to get what they need. There's a lot of social barriers, you know, like I was talking about, you know, transportation, whether it be their vehicles broke down, they don't have a vehicle, or, you know, they just don't have the gas money right now, you know, because that happens. I've been there. <laughs> um, but any, you know, other things can keep them from going to the doctor. It could be, you know, they're nervous. They don't know if they want to find out what's going on. They could have an issue. They could have been hurting for two or three months and they're afraid that they might find out they have cancer. So, you know, things like that, trying to ease their mind, you know, going into the doctor's office with them, you know, if they want you to. So, so you can better understand and help them just be there for them. You know, we do many different things. Um, I have a relationship with a lot of my patients. You know, they trust me. You know, it's... You gotta, I don't know, you kinda gotta have a heart for this job. You kinda gotta have the, just the willpower and the heart. And it makes it better because I'm from here. You know, my family, when I was younger, you know, we struggled. You know, my dad worked, mom was a stay-at-home mom, so she took care of us, made sure our grades were good. <laughs> Thank God for that. But you know, dad worked and he even had to work on the weekends to be able to, you know, make more money, to make sure that we had what we needed he did, he would even work weekends, um, side jobs. Um, he was a welder, so he didn't specifically work in the coal mines, but he worked on those coal trucks. <laughs> he, he kept those coal trucks on the road and, you know, going. 
So, but he was a coal miner before that, before he was a welder. So he's been there and done that. But his last job was welding. But I know a lot of my patients, you know, they know me. We see each other at the grocery store. Um, I'm there for them when they come for their appointment. I schedule a lot of their appointments. I get transportation for them. Um, even today, I had, you know, a provider send me a reminder that we had a patient that needs gas money to go to a, an appointment in Lexington. Normally, we don't have cash, you know, but I can try to get donations from our clinics, you know, our, our employees. You know, two or three dollars goes a long way when a lot of people give two dollars. You know, that'll help get gas money to get them to that appointment. So I try to work ways around stuff to be able to help them. You know, when you got pride, it's hard to ask somebody for help because I'm the same way. I don't, it would take me a while. So I have a lot of patients that have had a lot of pride and it takes them a while to get used to me to be able to say, you know, I kind of need you to go get me a food box. You know, I'm low on money this month. My bill, my electric bill was too high. So, you know, and we've had a lot of, a lot of bills that have been high here lately. So they know they can call me. I'll get them food from a local pantry. You know, a lot of them use our pantry in Mud Creek and I use some pantries in Pieville as well. But, you know, they know if they need me, they can call and say, you know, tell Jessica to call me and I call them and, you know, I help them the best I can. And, you know, that, that, that goes a long way. You know, it is, it's a, it's a lot, especially these days. It's, in our economy, I don't know, it's just like, you know, food's getting higher and I've had a lot of patients stressing over that. They'll call me and they'll say, what am I going to do? And, you know, I try to talk to them and let them know, you know, hopefully things get better. That's all we can do, just hope things get better. But I have a lot of patients that just call me to see what I'm doing. <laughs> they just call and they'll say, I was just calling, checking on you, see how you was doing. And I'll let them know that I was, you know, I'm doing normal, same as always. And then I'll make sure they don't need nothing while we're on the phone. <laughs> so I think, uh, I don't know, it's just... It's, it's a lot to this job, but at the end of the day, you couldn't ask for a better job. You really couldn't. It's time to stop chatting for a minute. We roll up to the grocery store. Jessica buys a full set of fruits and vegetables for her client. Oranges, onions, greens. After the grocery store, we're en route to the patient's house, just outside of Pikeville. Before we pull in, our conversation turns to something that's been a big problem with healthcare workers, burnout. So you feel, I mean, you know, that's something I've been asking everybody about, because I'm, you know, I'm curious about how people are taking care of themselves. It yeah. seems like burnout is such a huge problem in healthcare right now. Mm -hmm. And like, you hear all these stories about people quitting and like, you know, I don't know, Capital Huntington Hospital, you know, went on strike because of how hard things were. and like. Yeah, you do you feel like more insulated from that? How do you take care of 
yourself or not. I don't know. I do. Um, you know, sometimes my job is stressful because I do take a lot of stuff home with me. You know, I see situations sometimes that I can't, I can help, and I wish I could. But, you know, all I do is just go home, I pray about it. That's really all I can do. But knowing that I help people also helps me because I know, I know I'm there if they need me. They know I'm there if they need me. I reassure them all the time, if you need anything, call me. You know, I'll do my best. If I don't have the resources, I'll try to find the resources. And I do have quite a few resource patients as well, you know, other than my chronic disease patients also. Um, I have patients that are mental health patients that just need someone else to talk to when they don't have that appointment with their behavioral health, you know, provider. So I do that, you know. I feel like I'm kind of their friend also, you know. I'm, I'm somebody that they can say, well, you know, I could talk to Jessica about that. You know, they know they could talk to me if they, which there's a lot right now. It, it really is. It's um, due to being low on cash. You know, I had a patient call the other day and her electric bill was $800, but you know, she owed some from the prior month because she couldn't pay the full amount. And you know, we have programs that we can help them with, with their electric bill, you know, we do, and a lot of them don't know how to go about doing it, so we show them the way, we help them, we do the paperwork, we fill the applications out. You know, we, we let them know there's programs that can help, so we do a lot of that too. Um, I've actually went to patients' homes and helped pay their bills because they didn't have no way to pay them. And uh, we went to the home before, and it was actually me and another community health worker at the time, and used their computer to pay their bills. So they could do it online at home and set that up for them. So just, like I said, every day something different, a patient could just have a question. You know, I need to know where I can get this. Or, Is there anything I can do? You know, so we're, we're there to look in our resource book or try to find out from somebody else what we can do for them. Yeah, you're holding a lot. I feel like that's social work. <laughs> that's like... It's, it's kind yeah. of a lot of jobs, you know, in, in the one, really. But, you know, and, and that's like a lot of my patients. When I first started this job, because I didn't start out doing this. I started out in medical records. And uh, I love that job, too, because I'm just, like I said, I'm a people person. I do that, and I like that job. Well, when this job came open and the opportunity came up, I had never heard of a community health worker. Didn't know, you know, what they what they done. And when I read the job description, I thought I can do that. I can do that. You know, it took a little bit to get used to, but a lot of my patients didn't even know what a community health worker was either. So they didn't know the services we could provide. They didn't know that if they had a chronic disease, you know, that. Um, that, you know, at Big Sandy Healthcare, that we had community health workers to be able to help them with that. So, you know, they didn't, they didn't know just like I didn't know. But I explained the program to them. You know, we have... Do you feel like, like, what do you feel like, if anything, like you would, would need in order to, you know, do your job, like, mm -hmm. as perfectly as you could do it, or like, to live, to live well, you know? Yeah, for me, to live well... <sighs> Well, like, when I take it home with me, we do have mental health counselors, you know, like Pam was saying, we do at Big Sandy, you know, because we're supposed to do self-care also. You know, that's important for us, is to make sure that we're taken care of so we can take care of our patients. Um, fortunately, I haven't had to use that yet. Um, 
specific, you know, I'm not saying that someday I won't have to because I probably will. <laughs> um, just, you know, it's just a matter of time. Eula. You know, Eula was kind of, she was kind of like the first community health worker, really. Because, um, you know, if patients needed their medicine paid for and they didn't have the money, Eula would, would pay for their medicine. You know, she would make sure they got their medicine. So, you know, Eula kind of gave those resources before we really had a community health worker. Her legacy, you I mean, to keep it alive, you have to keep retelling these stories or, you know, they're going to be gone, they're going to be lost. I'm Katie Myers, and we've been out in the field at the Eula Hall Clinic in Floyd County, Kentucky, where Eula Hall's legacy of fierce healthcare advocacy is being upheld by the clinic's many community support programs, and especially the efforts of its community health workers. Stay tuned for the second half of this month's Mountain Talk on Eula Hall and the Mud Creek Clinic. You're listening to Mountain Talk on WMMT. Our program today is all about the Mud Creek Clinic in Floyd County, now known as the Eula Hall Health Center, and the legacy of its founder, Eula Hall. And up next, we'll hear from Eula herself. Back in 2010, Eula was interviewed for WMMT by Bev May, who was then at the Little Flower Clinic in Hazard. And as you'll hear, many of the issues Eula fought for over the years are still issues in the present day, including the fight for a strong safety net. In fact, just this week, the Kentucky legislature has overridden Governor Bashir's vetoes to pass multiple bills which could seriously harm the safety net, according to the Kentucky Center for Economic Policy. The center says one new bill in particular, HB7, could cause tens of thousands of Kentuckians to lose food and medical assistance from programs like SNAP and Medicaid because of new, stricter requirements around paperwork, reporting, and eligibility. As you'll hear coming up, Eula Hall was a part of many campaigns over the years to strengthen that safety net, to make sure everyone in Kentucky could get their basic needs met. This conversation was originally one hour long and has been edited for time. Here's Bev May. So I guess that um, this is my big opportunity to ask you about how the clinic got started and get some context to this whole this whole thing that we've been doing of trying to take care of people that can't take care of their stuff. Right, that need need Every, a lot of help. As, help. as you know, there's always been a shortage of, of affordable health care for mm -hmm. people that don't have insurance or money. And health care is so expensive. People just can't afford mm -hmm. uh, the health care they need mm -hmm. without some help. Yeah. And I've seen so much suffering in my lifetime from people for the lack of money and the lack of uh, health insurance mm -hmm. that it just really disturbs. It still does. Even though we have some clinics now like this one, that does mm -hmm. provide uh, your affordable health care. Mm -hmm. But they should be clinics like this in all the states and in uh, every county where people would feel free to go and, you know, uh, seek health care when they need it instead of staying home so their medical conditions mm -hmm. deteriorate. Mm -hmm. But uh, they get harassed so much, you know, for not having enough money and they can't 
afford it that they really just choose to a lot of times stay mm -hmm. home till it gets, to, you mm -hmm. know, out of hand. Do you, do but, you still uh, see, I, I see a lot of that in my practice, of people that, that know they have health problems, they know they got blood pressure that's out of control, or they know they got diabetes, but then they lose their card or they lose their insurance and they just stay home and do without. And then when they come to me, they're in terrible shape. I'm just, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. They, it's well, heartbreaking. It I see it every so, day. But it takes it, so long to treat them and stabilize mm -hmm. them after they've gone with that medication and, right. and you know, let their the condition get so far out of hand. Exactly. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's not their fault mm -hmm. because they just can't afford it. They don't have mm -hmm. money. And food stamps, you can't buy health care with mm -hmm. food stamps. And as you right. know, Kentucky's got no general relief. You have to, there's a lot mm -hmm. of uh, qualifications to meet the guidelines for Medicaid. Mm -hmm. And Medicaid now has got copay for medicine and copay for mm -hmm. office visits and stuff. So it's really, there's so many people that just fall in the crack mm -hmm. that don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid and have very little income. And there's a lot of people just on food stamps only, and you can't buy nothing but food. And that makes it so hard for the people that's sick, yeah. people and that really need health care. Yeah, and that makes it even hard just to come up with a copay. Or, yeah, it, you know. yeah, I tell you here, uh, it's very hard for people to come mm -hmm. up with the copay. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a minimum pay on the, uh, a lot of our medication, mm -hmm. but they can't afford the minimum pay. Mm. because they don't have income yeah and i i've got my own little fund that i try to help them out what i can mm -hmm. and buy their medicine for me mm -hmm. so they won't leave here without their medicine when they come in yeah. i had people to come a while ago i had the pharmacy closed and this fella's really sick very sick and his medication one medicine was 40 some dollars mm -hmm. and they ain't got it yeah, and he's yeah. so sick he couldn't even get out of the car and come in. Oh. And he don't have that money. I told her to come back in the morning when the pharmacy opened. We'd see what we could work out. Yeah. I remember that from back in the, you remember I work, worked here as an RN in the early 90s. I remember you had a little stash for <laughs> people that fun. couldn't afford, yeah, a little stash for people that couldn't <laughs> afford their copay. I used to get me a bucket and go down to the railroad tracks and have me, uh, I called it my roadblock. Yeah. And if yeah. I stood down there long enough, I could get $1,000. But $1,000 don't go for when you buy medicine. Right, right. But um, I, can't, I, don't, I can't stand that long now with my crippled leg. Yeah. Well, I've got, I don't have, one of my legs is not too good. But I get me a chair. I put me a sign on my back and one in front, and I sit there with my bucket. But if, it, if I have to use an umbrella... If, it's, if it rains or the sun gets real hot, I can't let that umbrella block my view because people have to see me to know who it is. <laughs> so i got to sit there and hold that umbrella way back here with one hand and hold my bucket out here with the other one to get me some money. But I get in debt so bad to the pharmacy, sometimes I have to do that. Oh, Eula. <laughs> I've trained my children, my little ones and my grandchildren. And you know, to stand out. And I get scared sometimes because they're in the middle of that road on that yellow mm -hmm. line. Mm -hmm. And traffic goes through there pretty fast. And I think, Lord, have mercy if I get one of them hit or hurt, you know, down here on this doggone road. But oh. I have to, to get out there and get me some money. I do it, I do it at check time. 
Well, it'd be a good time next month because it's July the 4th. Right. And the checks will right. come on the second because they don't give them out on Saturday and the third's on Saturday. Wow. So if I do it, I'll have to get down there on the second of July. Yeah. There'd be a lot of traffic, a lot of people come in for the holidays yeah. and stuff. If they see me down there, they'll give me some money. <laughs> I may have to do that. Eula, do you, do you realize this is... This is 2010, and you still, and and you still you got to sit, uh, sit down and do a roadblock to get money for people's medicines. <laughs> for people's medicine, I sure will. Or That's not right. Groceries, and, uh, it ain't right. It's never been right. No. I'm seeing a lot of guys who have got laid off, and, uh, boy, they, they lose. If they had insurance, they lose it right then and there, and... Uh, and it, it, it's always really sad when I see those guys because they've been, you know, working decent paying jobs for a long time. And, and then they show up and they're kind of in a state of shock because they never even thought there'd be a day when they didn't have any insurance. It's really. And, and no health care. And no health care. And it really, you know, it, it really shakes them up. And be real sick. Yeah. You know, yeah. Lung disease and back problems. and. Yeah. A lot of uh, fractures and mm-hmm. crippled, you know, from yeah. a lot of breaks. And mm-hmm. and uh, I've had a brother-in-law who got killed in the mines, and I had a brother that got his back broken in the mines. And, you know, I've had a lot of that stuff to happen in my family. And uh, they, you know, it's mm-hmm. just so sad. Yeah. Once they get to where they can't work, they just... Uh, Push them aside. Exactly. One thing I've yeah. One thing I've seen for sure is that when the when the mines are done with you, they're done with you. It's yeah. It's really 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 need need the union. Mm -hmm. You know the the men really lost a lot when they let the Mm -hmm. union go down. Yeah. You know a lot of our old uh, miners would turn over in their grave if they knew Mm -hmm. what had happened to what they fought so hard for and what they organized so. Yeah. Much with was the minor the UMW Bay. Yeah. They couldn't rest if they knew what was mm-hmm. going on there. Did do, do any of the the retired miners talk to you about, you know, the safety and what what they what they know about the how that's changed? They know, but you know the underground miners. A yeah. lot of them it's just jobs is scarce and hard to come by mm-hmm. and they've got their families, they got bills and they got they're trying to make a living, you know, and they'll yeah. take a lot and take a big change on getting hurt mm-hmm. or killed mm-hmm. to yeah. keep a job. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the com- a lot of the companies get away with yeah. t- too much. Yeah, there's no safety committee there to... to they should be more. To, to protect a worker and yeah. they're on their own, yeah. Yeah. So... When, so whenever you all, if I can go back to 1960-something, <laughs> 67, something like that. So when you all were getting the clinic organized, what was what was the scene here in Floyd County as far as who who held the, the purse strings of the county? Who who was really calling the shots then? About uh, this local politics. Local politics was a local politician. <laughs> yeah. The, I don't want to start. (laughs) (laughs) All I can say is the SOBs. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, we better not go there. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, they could care less. 
Yeah. Uh, just like oh. I, I, well, it's it was a battle at anything you went at. It was it still is. It was a yeah. battle, you know, to try to get health care, mm-hmm. and uh, the miners were kicked around. Mm-hmm. The poor people were, you know, there were so many people lived and died and never seen a doctor. Yeah. Never got took care of yeah. by any kind of a, you know, trained or licensed mm-hmm. uh, practitioner. Yeah. It's just the old methods that they'd been taught, you know, by mm-hmm. the old people. Some of it was okay. Some mm-hmm. of it wasn't okay. Right. You could see all these, uh, uh, you know, uh, deformities of the body where people mm-hmm. get fractures and mm-hmm. breaks and things and never get them set or placed, or whether by an orthopedic or mm-hmm. fact, by in fact by anybody. Yeah. They tried to do it themselves. And mm-hmm. then, you know, all the children that were born were born at home without a licensed or mm-hmm. trained uh, midwife, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you was okay, the, everything was okay. Mm-hmm. If you wasn't okay, mm-hmm. then you was into trouble. Yeah. And uh, it, it was sad. You know, it was so... And then you try to do something about it. You know, TB in this area, and it was, in fact, in rural areas like mm-hmm. this one, there was so much tuberculosis that so many people just died. Yeah. You know, it'd go through the whole family. And uh, the, it wasn't mandatory, uh, you know, for people to have to go to the sanatorium mm-hmm. and be treated. So they just it just went through the whole family or part of the family. The weakest ones, I guess, right. is the ones that didn't survive with it. Wow. And it just they, and there was no indoor plumbing and mm-hmm. no sanitation. You know, people mm-hmm. just spit wherever they wanted, could mm-hmm. wherever they could, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was terrible. It was yeah. terrible. And then there was no clean drinking water. Can you imagine just digging a hole out in the ground and drinking? Yeah. That was your water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, well. yeah. when we did the water testing, we found mm-hmm. more bacteria in some of the uh, what was called wells than we mm-hmm. found in the creek where the creek run. Oh, my you know? gracious. And uh, it, it was it's terrible. It's wow. terrible. And uh, that's why we, when I say we, the welfare rights group, myself, mm-hmm. bunch of, mm-hmm. fought so hard to get, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, clean water, and to get it. And it, it, I thought if we could just get some training, if people were just had, um, you know, some training uh-huh. to teach us that everything wasn't right, and you know what mm-hmm. was really good and what wasn't so good. Like a lot of these home remedies, I don't know by how people live because they give the babies uh, turpentine. You know, they give us castor oil and turpentine. Well, turpentine is not recommended, you know, to be, no, no. To be consumed internally. <laughs> and how we live. And then if we got to croup or got sore throat and hoarse and c- couldn't hardly breathe, they gave us uh, cursing. Ooh. Yeah, they give us a teaspoonful of sugar. And put you two or three drops of, of cursing in it. And so that was supposed to clear you. I guess it did if it didn't Whew. give you chemical pneumonia, you know. Wow. But that, that was one of our doses. And then everybody took castor oil. Yeah. Everybody took Epsom salts. Yeah. And it was just old crazy stuff like that. It, right. You know, I wasn't a, no 
genius, but I knew some of that stuff was dangerous. Right. And I dreaded, and I, I worried more about my little brothers and sisters and other children than I really did myself because I wasn't even take enough of that stuff to kill me. <laughs> I was going to spit it out as quick as I could turn my head or catch them looking off, you oh. know. And um, I didn't think when they'd rub that old turpentine on your belly that it was going to do anything much to you because yeah. it's on the outside. Right. But... Um, we cut herself and they poured turpentine to it. Turpentine and cursing is was two of the biggins. Wow. On how we lived. You yeah. know, the home remedies didn't work so well. Right. And it's scary. Yeah. We needed the really, you know, good health care by trained people that yeah. was trained to provide it and take care of us. And yeah. I always uh, thought you know, what it would be like if we just had a first aid station where people really knew mm-hmm. what to do yeah. and they'd have not have to just guess that and take, let it, you know, take what you could get mm-hmm. and watch people suffer so much. So so I'm assuming the local politicians didn't help you out in getting the thing started. So who, who, <laughs> who, who did help? The people. Yeah. The people. We had a health committee. The Welfare Rights Group ah. had a health committee. And we had all kinds of committees with the health, with the Welfare Rights Group. Uh-huh. And uh, we had a health committee. I was chairperson of that health committee. Yeah. And then we had, um, uh, you know, committees for clothes. And we had committees for food and mm-hmm. committees for roads. And this, yeah. we had committees in the health and the Welfare Rights Group to, to yeah. deal with the problem. Of course, we all was there when we were needed, like mm-hmm. black lung and mm-hmm. all water and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So we, when we take on one problem, we, we, well, you can't solve this problem without solving that one. When we took on health care, well, we said, well, heck, we can't treat the sick and give them contaminated water. Right. So right. we got to get some clean drinking water in here. Mm-hmm. Get away from these old coal banks and mm-hmm. and um, mines and just drinking any kind of water. Mm-hmm. So we had to go to Washington and march and lobby and testify mm-hmm. to try to get funds for water. And wow. then, you know, when we got that, of course, the money went to the politicians. And yeah. we got to the, like a dad burn sifter bottom mm-hmm. when it come to holding water in the lines and stuff. And you'd have to go back and I'll say this licky cafe over and bag and bum and raise hell again, try to get something <laughs> else. I got so they gone sick of it, dealing with them, you know, and they were getting the check. As quick as the damn money come, they got it. And they talked to us like we was communists and we was this. We was everything but somebody trying to take care of each other, you know. Right. Trying to make sure we did get doctors and nurses and mm-hmm. and uh, clean water and free and reduce school lunches and food and food stamps. And I can remember when uh, the government decided to raise, uh, increase the food stamp allotments, you know, uh-huh. for the people. Well, they wouldn't aim to, we passed the law to do it in March. Well, our state said, okay, it's too much red tape, and we can't implement the increase before September. Oh. Well, we said, heck, we're going to lose March to September. All the benefits of the increase, our people's going to lose it. So we chartered us some buses, bag, bum, 
charter some buses and go to Frankfurt. Well, when we get to Frankfurt, we want to talk to uh, the Commissioner of Welfare. Mm -hmm. And uh, she refused to talk to us as a lady, as a woman. And uh, she refused to talk to us. And so we told her that uh, we'd come, we've come prepared to camp out for a few days anyway on the lawn down there. We was going to wait and talk to her. It didn't matter how long it took. Good you know. for you. So it changed. <laughs> but I'll tell you what we had to do to, to really change her mind. Uh, we didn't have, everybody didn't have money to eat them. We, some of us was broke. Uh, whole, I guess most of us. And uh, we decided uh, we planned to come up with a plan how we could eat. So we waited till everything closes down from 12 to 1, pretty much down to Captain. Mm -hmm. So we said we'd wait till after 12 when the offices was closed, and we'd go over to the cafeteria at the Capitol building and tell them that the governor said, let's eat. So every one of us marched over there. We told them to let us see. At the governor said to feed us. Oh. They fed every one of us. We <laughs> eat everything they had. We wiped out the snack bar. We and they had big, uh, they had big baskets of fruit on the cat on the cabinets. We got. We put that in our pockets. We took the apples. We took it. We eat that. We wiped them out. We we was hungry. I never will forget that. Well, it tickled me then to get her belly full. Well, when the word got out, what could they do? They wouldn't uh, talk. They wouldn't meet with us. And we was down there because there's hungry people. That was our thing. You right. know, we're hungry people, and you're going to wait to, know, to September to feed us. So we got one good fire meal. I, I, I was tickled to death to do that. I said, um, uh, you know, it would be the best thing ever happened if they tried to put some of us in jail. If they'd have tried to put anybody in, it'd probably be men's thief. So they called back to Apple Red and talked to some of them, and they, and they said, no, nah, none of our people would do something like that. I laughed. I couldn't laugh. And uh, after we, up in the day, after we kept meeting and fussing with them, we got hungry again. We started on our fruit we had in our pockets. But anyway, the commissioner of welfare met with us that day. She was glad to get right. us out of there. <laughs> so we got our food stamp increased without any problem. We had, to, we had to eat them out of the house and home to get it. <laughs> but I didn't care a bit to do that. That's, we got some good food. We eat the, we're through, through the, sna the snack bar, and we went through the cafeteria, too. <laughs> we just marched through there and ate. So that's a, that's really, um, that's a great story. So I wonder well, if, if, if we could be using that sometime in the future. Just well, go down to the, Frankfurt and they, clean out the refrigerator. The least we say about it, the better, the better off we are. Yeah, Because yeah. if we have to pull that again, they may be wised up enough to well, know that's what true. we're trying to do. That's and we true. might get put out before we got to eat and not go to jail hungry. <laughs> but uh, it's the best not broadcasting. But I never mean, will <laughs> But we did do that. We got our in, uh, food stamp increase, and we got our belly full. Got her ride back home. All right. But they, we hadn't, they hadn't been people doing stuff like that. We'd have never got where we got. We'd never right. got mm -hmm. the black lung bill passed. Mm -hmm. We'd take the miners with us that really was smothering to death, yeah. dragging auction tanks. Yeah. We'd drag them up the steps at the White House with the news people. 
We'd drag them mm -hmm. into the Congress and Center. We'd testify right in front of Congress. And uh, we really, it, you have to make a lot of noise to get heard. I mean, you mm -hmm. can't go up and crawl around like a mouse. Mm -hmm. You've right. got to make noise. Well, it sounds like you, and but you, you took got to prove it. Yeah. You've got to have mm -hmm. the proof with you. Mm. But we, we, we they got a lot of good programs, you know, implemented yeah. and mm -hmm. funded. And we got pretty well known with a whole bunch of the Congress and Senate. But mm -hmm. right, going up our so much on water yeah. and on health care and on food stamps and all that. Yeah. So we we really come a long way. Yeah. Was this all pretty much during Nixon's administration or? Well, now Nixon, no. We More Johnson? A, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Nixon, uh, he signed a black lung bill mm -hmm. into law. Yeah. On the last day of December, 1969. Hmm. Yeah, I never will forget it. We was on pins and needles. I'm wondering if he's going to sign it oh. after we got passed. Yeah. And he signed it yeah. and took off and went to China. Oh. I said, I hope he stays. <laughs> he signed the law. <laughs> got uh, what you needed out of him. and <laughs> he, he, he come back. But, but you know, and, and, and it's 1970. We started just loading the miners up and take them to the Social Security office mm -hmm. of getting mm -hmm. them signed up. Yeah. Well, that law was so stiff the devil couldn't pass the test. Yeah. They, Social Security was denying everybody just mm -hmm. like uh, mm -hmm. they do the black lung uh, claimants now. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we did food with them, fussed with them till uh, 72. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what, by that time, I was uh, chairman of the Kentucky Black Lung Association, and I said, we're wasting our time. Ain't nobody can get approved. Every 90% of the claims are denied. I said, let's get the law amended. Let's mend that bill, that law. Yeah. So we would go right back and start picketing and raising hell again. All right. And honey, we got the 72 amendment, and thank God we didn't get approved then. Huh? We got to hit write the rules and regulations to the right. Senate Amendment. I stayed up for two weeks mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. Washington, and right. uh, we got them approved then. And it, from 72 to 77, we had five years there. We really got a lot of people approved. And he was so happy. Every time you get somebody approved, they get a bunch of back pay because they've been signed up. Right. So many years, right. then they'd go put water in their house, or, yeah. and they'd uh, you know build them a bathroom. They really improve their living conditions oh. and get a new vehicle or something. Yeah, uh, it was good then yeah. to get them approved. Yeah, thousands of miners got mm -hmm. approved, but yeah. you know it wasn't easy. Yeah, it's yeah. like that old that coal miner. He's got a song out, and he'd say. Nope, it wasn't easy. And I, I think of that. <laughs> nope, it wasn't easy, but we got it done. Yeah. Well, how did you convince doctors to come in here and start, well, and start seeing folks? The doctors that come was really, you know, doctors that cared for people and wasn't just out to make a millionaire right. fast, and right. they wanted to do something mm -hmm. in areas like ours. It wasn't local doctors. Yeah. But uh, they come and they'd work at the hospitals and places for salary, and then they'd volunteer their time oh. and work for us for nothing. Yeah. 
Okay. So, you know, we could take care of the people. But really, he'd help the hospital where they work because if mm -hmm. they had to go to the hospital, you know, they'd go yeah. in them those hospitals. And right. Things. They could keep them in better shape yeah. so that they weren't yeah. in the hospital so often, I imagine. But, yeah. uh, I don't know, you just have to try and see that mm -hmm. the Lord will make a way. Yeah. It just yeah. fell in place after pushing and shoving and fighting and screaming. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I didn't do a thing I wouldn't do again if I had it to do over. Good. I never done a thing I ever regretted. <laughs> I, did, they, I regret some things I wish I'd have done I didn't do. Yeah. You know, the, I think the most important thing I learned from you when I worked here was having health insurance d is not the same thing as having health care. No, no. And and what happens here that, that I appreciated so much was that you and the rest of the staff and were are, are, were and still are pulling $5 out of that bucket to make sure that folks don't go out the door without the medicine and making sure they got clean water to drink, making sure that, that you know, there's some decent food in the house, that nobody's hungry. And yeah. to me, that that's health care. That's the real yeah. deal well, right you, there. You can sit here. Yeah. And, you know, just seeing the doctor, that's just a drop in the bucket. Yes. Yeah, helping these people. That's, that's a good You've start. You've got to make mm -hmm. sure they eat. Mm -hmm. You've got to make sure they can get in here and get back home. Mm -hmm. You've got to mm -hmm. make sure they get their medicine. Mm -hmm. You've got to make sure they ain't freezing to death that they got the utilities is on. Right. And they've got, uh, you know, mm -hmm. a place to live. Yeah. You know, just seeing the doctors are just one drop in the bucket. Yeah. That's yeah. what health care is really all about. That's right. Yeah. And that worries you to death when you think about mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. not uh, being able to have everything they need. Yeah. No, it ain't. Is that old miner says it ain't easy. It ain't been easy. Nope. It's been fun. <laughs> Again, you've been hearing clips from a conversation between Bev May and Eula Hall which first aired on WMMT back in 2010. That interview was originally produced by WMMT's Rich Kirby and Sylvia Ryerson. And that's it for Mountain Talk. Thanks so much for listening. Reporting in today's program was part of the America Amplified initiative. America Amplified is a national public media collaboration focused on community engagement reporting. And as a final note, WMMT is working on stories about workplace issues in Appalachia, and we'd love to hear from you. Where do you work? What kinds of issues have you seen come up during COVID-19? And what do you wish the public knew about your job? If you're up to share, get in touch with WMMT's Katie Myers at katie at appleshop.org. And that's Apple spelled A-P-P-A-L. To hear this and other episodes of Mountain Talk, check out our website, WMMT.org. For WMMT, Mountain Community Radio, I'm Parker Hobson.